Okay, um, so my name is Monica. I'm the editor of Monitor Global Intelligence on Racism. Today at Burbank University, we are talking about um, anti-Semitism and exactly what does that mean in regards of all the definitions that have been thrown in the media recently. Uh, with us, we have uh, Dr. Yair Valach, Peers Lecturer in Israel Studies and Chair of the Center for Jewish Studies, School of Oriental and African Studies, SOAS, and author of a forthcoming opinion on defining antisemitism in Aretz. Actually, it was on this morning, wasn't it? It's now on, but... Uh... It's now on, okay. Uh, with us, we also have Dr. Ben Gidley, Senior Lecturer at uh, the Department of Psychosocial Studies in Burbank. And finally, Dr. James Renton, academic advisor at Monitor, and also reader at Jewish University. So, um, James, can you give us a context of why today everybody is going on about anti-Semitism? Well, specifically in terms of the question of how can one define officially anti-Semitism, um, the desire to do this on an official basis is very recent, and we can go back to 2005, uh, with what was the European Union's Monitoring Centre on Racism and Xenophobia. Uh, it issued its working definition at that time. Um, it became very controversial because it included in its examples of anti-Semitism um, issues specifically connected with Israel. Um, quote, uh, as an example, anyone who draws comparisons of contemporary Israeli policy to that of the Nazis, end quote. And another example that it had in its definition Quote, denying the Jewish people their right to self-determination, e.g. by claiming that the existence of a state of Israel is a racist endeavour, end quote. Now, what's interesting is that in 2013, uh, the successor of the Monitoring Centre, the Fundamental Rights Agency, quietly dropped that definition from its website because it was deemed, we can assume to be, too controversial. But this whole question... Uh, changed completely, uh, I would say, from 2016, when in May the International Holocaust Remembrance Alliance, which is an intergovernmental organisation, adopted officially the working definition that had been abandoned by the Fundamental Rights Agency. Um, the IHRA uh, is a very significant body. It has 31 member states, a significant proportion of which are states within the European Union. Um, and then at the end of uh, December 2016, um, the IHRA's definition was adopted officially by the UK government and then a whole series of other governments since then. There's a whole momentum behind this so-called IHRA definition, but in fact it's actually the monitoring centre's uh, definition that's been tweaked by the IHRA. Uh, but then, of course, um, that the uh, furore about this definition is all to do with the crisis concerning anti-Semitism in the British Labour Party and the uh, NEC of the Labour Party very recently proposed a new code of conduct with regard to anti-Semitism um, which didn't include those controversial aspects uh, concerning Israel um, and this has become such an escalated argument um, that we've just had an editorial published by, a joint editorial by three Jewish newspapers in Britain saying that the Jewish community now faces an existential threat from the British Labour Party. Thank you, thank you James. Um, so, uh, Yair, do the Jewish people
um, face threats by the Labour Party? <clears throat> I think, okay, um, I would say that from the last few years we see that there's a pattern of uh, anti-Semitic incidents in the Labour Party which, which um, if we look at them in the whole, can suggest institutional uh, anti-Semitism. I think that's uh, an accusation that is certainly uh, um, makes sense. To say that to to say that that amounts to existential threat um, seems to be overstated, but I think there's reasons for concern. Um, I think okay, that's yeah. But what how is it overstated? Do you think? I think once you say existential threat, you imagine various things. You imagine actual persecution. You you, imagine, you can imagine anti-Jewish laws. You can imagine various forms of... Uh, because I think we all agree that tweets on social media are not existential threat. Okay, that's unpleasant. Uh, you know, if somebody says a nasty thing about Jews or about Israel, that's not existential threat. Okay, it may lead to create an environment in which uh, we will see more actual attacks or maybe facilitated legislation against Jews, that would be more serious. Mm -hmm. But I think we have to uh, also not not uh, blow things out of proportion. I think that's so, but where, where is the threat then? How, does, how is it uh, characterized? In terms of the Labour Party, yeah. I, I think if, you, if the Labour Party gets into power and if you think that it has a problem with Jews, to put very bluntly, then you have a reason to be worried about, you know, more systemic discrimination or more systemic... Uh, uh, I, I don't think there's anything specific that you can po point to this point that, the, that you can say the Labour government will do this and this and this. Um, uh, but if you have a sense that anti-Semitism is being tolerated in a party that is going to be a ruling party, that's always a concern, whether it's a Labour Party or or uh, you know, or parties of the hard right in Europe. Mm -hmm. Ben, what's your take on this? Well, I think that the um, idea of existential threat is um, an absurd idea, although there are good reasons um, why Jews might be fearful. I think that if we look since the 1990s in the UK, the Jewish leadership has really stressed dangers to the Jewish community and it's identified a kind of danger of, um, of outmarriage and declining observation, it's identified the danger of anti-Semitism and then these have become linked in the Jewish imagination to the existential threat to Israel by, posed by um, uh, hostile neighbours and I think that these three threats have become kind of really dominant in the British Jewish imagination. I think the lead Jewish communal leadership and Jewish communal media have really amplified these um, threats such that the Jewish community is in a state of heightened insecurity. Um, Keith Carn Harris and I wrote about this in our book Turbulent Times in 2010 and I think it's become even more true since then. I think that there's two things that's worth saying about the current situation. One is that there are a number of threats facing British Jews from anti-Semitism and these include the threat posed by the far right, which still represents the vast majority of actual anti-Semitic incidents, particularly violent incidents in the UK. There's very few violent incidents against Jews carried out 
um, by you know the left or anti-Zionists. Overwhelmingly, it's the far right. So the manifestation of anti-Semitism from the left is typically um, social media, political discourse. And this is where anti-Semitism in the Labour Party does become important because I think the Labour Party and the battle over anti-Semitism within the Labour Party has become a kind of vector for the distribution of anti-Semitic ideas into the mainstream as people are very keen, people who are not necessarily you know, at all ideologically committed to anti-Semitism are keen to defend the party from what they see as smears will start turning to kind of anti-Jewish conspiracy theories to explain what they see as smears. So blaming, you know, Jewish conspiracies for accusations of anti-Semitism. So immediately seeing anti-Semitism as a bad faith allegation. Yeah, but does that mean that a critique of Israel is an anti-Semite? Oh, absolutely not. And um, I think the original EUMC working definition, one of its real advantages was this crucial sentence where it spoke about context. Um, it gave a number of examples of potential um, anti-Semitism, and it said, taking into account the overall context, anti-Semitism could include these things. And so it's really important that all of the instances of anti-Semitism listed in any of the working definitions have to be seen in context. And it is perfectly possible to criticise Israel without being anti-Semitic, and... It's absolutely vital that the, the right to criticise Israel is defended by people who are concerned about racism. Okay. Um, James, you've done a lot of work on Zionism and uh, anti-Zionism. Um, how would you uh, put this problem of anti-Semitism in the context today? Well, I think that's clearly at the very heart of all of this debate now. Um, and I think we can see that in a fundamental distinction between the IHRA presentation of its working definition of anti-Semitism um, and the original definition put forward in 2005, which is that in the original definition, um, the examples concerning Israel were much lower down in the document, whereas the IHRA, in its examples, um, goes immediately straight to the question of anti-Semitism and Israel. Um, And I, I think that this is part of the problem with how all of this subject has been discussed, um, which is that it, it has turned into a question of when people are criticizing Israel, can it be classified as anti-Semitism? And the way in which the Labour Party has approached this, and also we have to say um, in, some of, in, in the other definition documents, is the motivation behind comments and acts Um, and it's something uh, that all three of us were talking about earlier before we started this program and what Yai uh, has been talking about um, in his op-ed in Haaretz about this issue of um, individual emotion and acts and, and, and thinking about Jews as opposed to a much bigger problem within society about how people think about Jews in general but also in connection with Zionism in Israel. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. What is it that you call institutional anti-Semitism in the Labour Party? Okay, so I think, uh, let's, let's uh, go back a bit. I think the debate about the definition is really focused on Israel, Zionism, anti-Zionism. Mm -hmm. I think that is a result of the fact that the definition is Israel-centered. Mm -hmm. Seven out of the 11 examples relate to Israel. Okay, so the result is that go, people go into the kind of intricacies. 
But if we zoom out and we ask, is this actually a good definition for anti-Semitism that will help us tackle anti-Semitism, uh, not just in cases of verbal statements or on Twitter or etc., on Facebook, but actually the wide range of forms of anti-Semitism, then we see that this definition actually is not up to the task. If we take the case that uh, became famous last week, there is a proposal in Austria that there will be a law that uh, only Jews will be able to buy kosher meat and they will have to register in a special database and carry a special permit for this stuff. So that would identify, there would be a special list of Jews in, in, a, in one of the states in Austria. Now that has been called out by Jewish organizations in Austria and Germany as anti-Semitism, and very rightly so. Uh, this is to mark them out from the general population, and, and they ask, are we going to have to wear the yellow star now, in, 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 in uh, sarcasm. But the thing is, if we look at the IHRI a definition, there's nothing there that will uh, help us to categorize this thing as anti-Semitism, because there is no anti-Jewish explicit discourse. It doesn't appear as one of the 11 uh, uh, examples. So we are left basically with only a kind of a vague references to discrimination, which I'm not sure this would fit. Mm. So instead of looking at institutional practices that do not necessarily even mention Jews, but can have an anti-Semitic effect, and mm. we are aware of these things in relation to Jews or in relation to people of color, of women, homophobia, Islamophobia, there's a range of ways to be racist and a bigot without even mentioning the, the name of the group that you oppose. Uh, and that is, you know, if we use the IHRA and we want to go to Austria and say, hey, you signed on this definition, and according to the definition, this is anti-Semitism, we can't. The definition is completely useless. And that is seriously dangerous. And this is seriously dangerous in this moment where we do see a rise in anti-Semitic discourse, where we do see anti-Semitic parties like the Freedom Party in Austria in power, where we see uh, 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 Hungary's Prime Minister openly saying anti-Semitic uh, uh, things and, and legislate anti-Semitic legislation, mm -hmm. arguably. Mm -hmm. So, Ben, do you think the Jewish community, um, broadly speaking, is... Um aiming at the wrong target, which is the double party. Um, in some ways, yes, I think that the Labour Party has become a symbolic issue for the Jewish community, um, and it's become, it's become um, kind of a cultural code for the, for the Jewish community, sort of watchword of, of, of unity. So, in a way... Um, the relationship between the kind of reality of what's going on in the Labour Party and the nature of the debate is has become divorced from each other. Um, I think that there's a number of kind of other targets which should also be kind of focused on. For example, in the um, rising sort of Brexit movement, where um, the kind of accusations around globalism and figures like George Soros can circulate on the right. Um, be another example of kind of anti-Semitic discourse which is, is really important to look at but I think um, his point about institutional anti-Semitism is the really vital 
point that the debate around anti-Semitism in the Labour Party has become completely bogged down with this idea of hatred, bigotry and intent, which is the wrong direction for the debate to go in, I think. So the IHRA definition is already problematic because it talks about anti-Semitism as a certain perception of Jews, which may be expressed as hatred towards towards Jews. The Labour Party, in their code of conduct, in some ways they make the situation clearer with a lot of kind of um, caveats and clarifications around the examples. But problematically, they introduce the idea of intent as a okay. key judgment. And I think it's really dangerous if we start to only talk about anti-Semitism in terms of intent, because what's really important, as you yeah, just said, is effect. And it's a really vital kind of learning from the anti-racist movement over the past two or three decades to kind of focus on effect, the effect of discourses, the effect of differential treatment, rather than on the kind of prejudices, emotions or instincts of supposed anti-Semites. Okay, so um, would be there some sort of uh, chart, compromise or definition of anti-Semitism, and do we need it, that would fit in with the um, intent um, part of the current definition and also add um, something because as uh, Yaya said is basically useless uh, legally uh, when being confronted to actual real anti-Semitic acts. I, I think this is the problem if one ha- tries to have an all-encompassing definition mm-hmm. about anti-Semitism is that as everybody has already said Um, you can focus on a particular aspect at a particular moment, but it might not apply elsewhere at a different time. And that is because there is this assumption that is deeply uh, incorrect um, in the definition documents, the original 2005, the IHRA one as well, um, and this assumption that anti-Semitism is fixed, that it doesn't change over time. But with as with all racisms, it is dynamic and uh, it wouldn't make any sense clearly with the original working definition in 2005 to have such an overt focus on Israel and yet in the context of the IHRA in 2016 in the way in which Israel-Palestine has become a flashpoint in all of the politics uh, after the second phase of the war on terror it's become a dividing line in global politics in a way that it wasn't before, which is, which is to say that clearly there needs to be some kind of thinking through, putting down on paper what is anti-Semitism, but one that establishes that it's not something that can be just simply uh, labelled to apply for all time. That said, I would say that historically... If we look over the centuries of what is perhaps the most persistent element of anti-Semitism is the notion of Jewish power and of Jewish conspiracy, going back to the medieval notion of a a Jewish alliance with the devil to corrupt Christendom. And I think that this preoccupation with Israel and the IHRA definition because it's caught up with its global political moment, um, that is not at the forefront of where where it should be. Um, But I would say that that comes back again to this issue of 
Um, what are we trying to police? What are we trying to combat? Are we just trying to deal with individuals physically attacking or verbally attacking other individuals? Or are we trying to deal with the bigger problem of how people around the world think about Jews? Okay, so yeah, yeah, what well, would be a way forward um, in this, for this working definition of anti-Semitism? So I'm not convinced at all that mm -hmm. we need a definition. We don't have a definition for Islamophobia, we don't have a definition for racism against people of color, we don't have etc. etc. Et but we are still able to identify them and also the legal system is able to persecute people on the basis of, of, of uh, race crimes, etc. So it is, I think, I think a definition only helps to a degree. At the end of the day, there will be clear cases and we gray cases. There will be things in which we would expect uh, the law to intervene, and there will be things that are open for, uh, say, a more educational process rather than legal intervention and criminalization. And I think that's the. I, I do not see a particular need in antisemitism and as as other as other forms of racism. There is, if we have to, we have to, if we need a definition, I would go for something that would be as wide as possible. For example, uh, Professor David Feldman's uh, definition in the testimony to Parliament in 2015, so he talked about both discourse, but also uh, um, social norms and procedures and institutions and practices. So it's not just about what people say, but also what they do, how Jews are treated, rather than you know, what is being said about them. Uh, but that said again, I think we have a, a huge body of literature, and we understand what anti-Semitism is, and we can, and there'll be great cases which we will uh, argue with. I mean, I think what's ironically, you know, the Ken Livingston example, which kind of was one of the highlights, is actually, if you look at the IHRA definition, it doesn't fall into one of these examples. The definition says, if you said about current Israeli policy that it's Nazi, then you're potentially anti-Semitic. That's not what Livingston said. He said Hitler was a Zionist. Now, what he said was offensive, and Livingston has a history, and I think he should have been expelled very quickly from the Labour Party. But it shows that even this definition, with his obsession... Or, or, or focus on Israel-related incident couldn't even cover that. Ben? I think it, um, I, I would agree with that, and it depends what you need a definition for. The original EUMC definition had a kind of pedagogic or heuristic value. It was used by monitoring organizations who were trying to find some way of monitoring hate crimes or hate incidents in different countries, some of which had more advanced and some less advanced legal criteria around this. It wasn't intended as a legal instrument, as a way of kind of designating a crime um, as anti-Semitic for the purposes of prosecution. In, uh, and this is why its framers have been very much opposed to it, having kind of legal status, because they see it would, it would chill free speech, for example, in universities. In something like the Labour Party, where you're looking for a code of conduct, and remember the Labour Party wants to hold itself to a higher standard than society in general. It sees itself as an anti-racist party. And so what we need to work a definition there for might be helping Labour Party officials kind of work on individual cases. Uh, the working definition is kind of, again, of 
limited use for the reasons that we've, um, we've already seen. Um, but what's important is to kind of is, is to be as kind of broad as possible and to be as clear as possible around context and that context matters and that context will always make a difference. One more point I would say that uh, at the moment we actually have very strong equality legislation in the UK that is much stronger than the IJRA definition in many respects. So that would be my fallback position. This is equality legislation that applies not just just to Jews or Muslims or other groups, it applies across the board. And using that, you could make a very strong case against anti-Semitism and other forms of racism and bigotry. But I think that it, it would be worthwhile, though, to have a set of principles Rather than examples, because I think this is the problem, the examples can be very time-specific or place-specific principles that are devised specifically by experts on anti-Semitism. Because you said earlier, we know. Well, people who have specialist knowledge and spend their uh, working lives thinking about these things do know. But the, the political point is that on a global level, This definition, the IHRA definition, has been adopted officially by an increasing number of states without the direct participation by experts. And even though I think all of us sort of recoil from this idea of putting down on paper this is anti-Semitism in any way, I think that given that context, there is some sort of need for expert-informed opinion it wouldn't be easy, but something that is broad, something that is loose, more of a, um, a, a model or an approach, principles, rather than any specific examples. I, I can feel that those principles would be the principles that are already the principles of the, of the anti-racist movement, which is principles such as um, to be racist that doesn't require some kind of deep ideological commitment to racism that, um, that all of us are going to be racist because racism is structured so deeply in our society awareness of that principle which is kind of 101 anti-racism it's one of the things that's desperately needed and I think the debate about anti-Semitism in the Labour Party stops that that principle from being mainstream because people are so there's, there's, a, there's a norm against prejudice in our society, so nobody wants to be a bigot, nobody wants to be labelled the bigot like uh, Julian Duffy in the um, 2010 election. And so we all recoil from it, and we need kind of more openness about the fact that all of us might inadvertently find ourselves kind of saying things that might be anti-Semitic, and that the response to that shouldn't be necessarily disciplinary, it should be educational, and there should be greater awareness so, so the Labour Party members as all of us in society, need to learn to recognise anti-Semitism when we see it. And that's a kind of a long, slow pedagogic process, I think. Yeah, yeah. Informed by principles, but those are by, by anti-racist principles. I think we can agree on this. Yes. 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 Uh, More awareness, education. Solidarity. Solidarity. Solidarity.